Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com slash oysterworldradio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes coverage of how these random interviews materialize, plus some unique travel tips. So don't miss out and support the show today. More support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet, less travel headaches while on the road, and you get to learn the ins and outs of everywhere I go. Become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio. All the links are in the show description, and support the show today. Welcome to Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and in this episode, we have a special guest from halfway across the world, Stanley Nichenya Kaseke. Stanley is a one of a kind guy. When he's not rescuing travelers from terrible homestays, like he did with Jackie and I, he's busy carving out his piece of the world. It is hard to meet a more generous person on the planet. Believe me, I checked. And a lot of that has to do with how Stanley was raised. An interesting story to say the least, but the major reason why Stanley is the man he is today. So without teasing you any further, let's get right to the show. Coming from Gaborone, Botswana, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Stanley Chenya Kaseke. So Stanley, welcome to Oyster World Radio. We're really excited to have you on. And how's beautiful Botswana? Well, beautiful Botswana is supposed to be sunny, but unfortunately it's very cold. We are taking temperatures of down to three, de- three, three, three degrees, which is quite cold for a desert land. Yeah. But yeah. That is not the Botswana are... that I remember. I remember Botswana <laughs> where the cows were fainting outside. It was so hot. <laughs> yeah, so the, the cows are now probably looking at us humans and saying, pity you. Yeah. <laughs> they are born to, to take this weather well better than us. Yeah, so that's right. It's winter down there, even though it's the end of July, which is a little bit weird for us Northern Hemisphere people. We forget that there's a whole Southern half of the world that has completely different weather than us. <laughs> and you're surviving, yeah. though. That's good. Yes, we are. What can we do? We have to. <laughs> That's the mentality to have. And, well, thank you for coming on the show. This is really good for me because we had a short time together when we first met in Gaborone, Botswana. And yes. you saved us from a really hilarious Airbnb situation, came swooping in, <laughs> just super, super couch surfer to the rescue and scooped us up. <laughs> Yeah, I I deserve a Superman cape for that, I suppose. No, you absolutely get that badge because afterwards we just drank wine and watched Beyonce videos and Victoria's Secret videos the rest of the night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wine and Victoria's Secret videos. (laughs) That's, 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 That's typically superhero kind of conversations. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> hey, for us two wary travelers, that was amazing. That was so much fun. Because You're definitely welcome. <laughs> I, I I couldn't I couldn't help realizing that you had booked yourself in a place where you did not seem to be getting right. And I said to myself, there's no way I'm gonna let this happen to someone out there. Because I'll never let it happen to me. 
I would never I would never appreciate it happening to me if I was a traveler out there. So I had to do what I could do within my power and at the time. Once again, that and it was really nice too because then we had this wonderful little experience in Botswana that I was never expecting. One of the best parts about couch surfing. You get to meet all these cool people that you would normally never meet. Yeah, true that. And we also, I'm grateful that I did bump into you, even though your stay was very short. I had to leave the following day. But that's okay. But it's, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we enjoyed every second that we could. But having the got you to know you that one day, segue right into the main point of the podcast, I want the world to get to know you too, because you're just too awesome to keep bottled up in this little town of Gaborone. The world needs to know who Stanley is. And we're going to get right to it. So are you ready yeah. for the world to get to know Hello, you? Hello, world. <laughs> That's why. So you were actually born in Zambia, not Botswana, which is the the northeastern neighbor of Botswana. And yes. So where, where exactly did you grow up? And can you tell the listeners a little bit more about Zambia and, well, what was it like growing up there? Well... I'll first start by telling you my full names. My name is Stanley Chenakaseke. I was born in Zambia, Lusaka, which is the capital town, born and bred. Never seen the, never grown in the rural parts of Zambia. Zambia is, what, it's, it's in the southern part of Africa with a population of 14 million. I think that Based on the last statistics, it should have gone up now. There's over 95 languages in Zambia. 95? And there's arguments about more. Yes, and oh. Zambia has nine provinces. Uh, Lusaka being this, being in the central part and being the capital of, of, of Zambia. I'm Tonga 95? by tribe. I come from the, yes. That's hard to believe. Um, I'm Tonga. <laughs> you should Google it. You I, will, I will, definitely. You will realize there's, there's lots more, actually. I might get my statistics wrong, but I, I think there's more than that. How many languages do you know before we before we move on? I'm just curious. I can speak... I need to say them for me to remember. Um, I can speak Tonga, I can speak Nyanja, I can speak, I can speak Bemba, and I'm fluent in, in English, too. So from the Zambian languages, I can speak... Four, I think. Yeah, four. I can speak four. Still, you can but, speak four, five languages. That's impressive. Yeah, it's, you know how the dynamics are? It's, there's a language for every province, but then there's dialects to that language. So you can find the main language is Tonga, but then the different, the, 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 no, the by dialects to it are so many. So you find this section speaks it's the same language. If, if say twelve tribes are speaking, they would probably understand each other. It's just that the pronunciation of words would not be the same, uh, and then okay. that is also regarded as a language. Gotcha. So, okay. Tonga, Tongas are well known for being the farmers of Zambia, and also being cattle 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 farmers. Um, the southern part of Zambia is where most of the farming happens, and it's, um, I think it, it's, yeah, there's, there's, the climate is very conducive for farming. 
And the southernmost part of Zambia is where the tourist capital of Zambia, Livingstone, is, where I think something everybody out there should know. The eighth wonder of the world, the Victoria Falls, is located. If you haven't seen it, you must travel to Zambia and see how nature can 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 be such a beautiful place oh, to see. Absolutely. What an yeah. amazing sight and wonderful area. So even though you were Tonga, you you were not a farmer. You were in the city. You were a city boy all your life. I, I love to believe myself to be a farmer, too. I, I cultivate friendships and thoughts. <laughs> and oh, I like what so, you did there. I may not be harvesting crops, but I'm certainly harvesting in other areas of my life. <laughs> I love that. That's really well said. Really, really well said. So what was a normal yeah. day for you, let's say, growing up? If you can even remember just a normal school day or you're going out with your friends on a weekend or let's say a day that you didn't have school in Lusaka. What, what were you up to? Were you a prankster? Were you, do you just like hanging out with your friends? Did you play sports? What were you up to? A normal day would be being out there playing football or making um, wired cars because it was, would, would see cars in magazines and would try and make them using wires. So would make them and would have competitions where you, you, you make your wire car, you take it for a show. And the best car would win. So it was, we kept ourselves busy. Other than that, there were other games. Oh, it was, my growing up was not, um, was in an era when technology was not as advanced as it is now. So we didn't have phones, we didn't have cable TV, we didn't have a lot of amenities that are now available. It's hard to actually imagine that that was just barely 20 years ago. Yeah, it really wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it wasn't. It makes me feel ancient when I'm saying these things, but it's just 20 years. <laughs> like, I, I, as, as, as a young man, we could never conceptualize a cell phone. No, never. It was not something we even thought it would, would ever happen. Then a phone call was going to a telephone booth and using tokens to call someone. So really, having fun was was based on your imagination. I think our imaginations took us places, and they made us become very creative in finding ways to engage and have fun and just basically be young. We did a lot of crazy stuff. We had the space. We had resources. So we did a lot we did way too many things. <laughs> oh, come on. Name one. One thing. Your favorite. I, um, we, we, there used to be this garage where people would go and dump, um, accidental cars. So there used to be this one big bus. It was, um, a Tata bus then. I think Tata was the, the biggest car bus, uh, manufacturing company then. Mm -hmm. Would go on top. It was, I think it was almost three meters, three, three meters high or something like that. Wow. Yeah, that's a big bus. Would put, would take water after watching acrobatics on TV, which was to be black and white. We would want to do that. So we would go to the, to the garage, would wet the floor, the, the ground. It was in a, in a like a 
a football pitch would wet the ground, would soak the fl- the ground so much that it would be soft. Then would jump on top of, would climb on top of the bus and try to somersault. Boy, were there injuries <laughs> that came out of there. I think I because uh, even soft ground I isn't that the, soft. Yeah, but it made sense at the time. So <laughs> we would try and somersault from there and try and believed we were acrobats. Would get up there, stretch ourselves, fall to the ground. The one thing that comes up is how brave we were as young kids because we never let anything. You'd hurt yourself, but because of fear of being looked at as a quitter, you or a wuss, you would not you would not want to give up. You'd be in pain, but you still go back and climb there and until you until we got it right. Yep, suck it At the up end of the day jumping. we all Yes, we sucked it up and we kept jumping. I think our teenage years were were somewhat a bit more interesting when we started learning things about love. Unfortunately, we didn't have uh, cell phones to text or call, or we didn't have all of these facilities. So, oh man, so the old-fashioned love, way. <laughs> yep. We would actually write love, love. So if you are suing someone, you a girl or you're, you are in love, you would agree which tree would be your tree. And every now and then, if you pass by, you would leave a message on the tree. Oh, and that's so cute. Your, 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 you'd, you'd, you'd actually even make appointments, meet me here at 16, at 6 p.m. And you would hope that your girlfriend would pass through there and get, and get the message and come back. And at 16, you'll be there. We would write, we would write little love notes and ask your friend because we were never brave enough to take the love notes ourselves. We would always yeah. ask our friends to, to take the love <laughs> notes on our behalf, and because we didn't know what right, would would the simplest. I think the best love love message I got was "I love you like a cup of tea." Oh, I think that's, that's that so much. cute. That's and that so was cute. all we ever did. So we would exchange that. We would exchange little notes and. It's a pity we never kept any of those. I think I would love to have to have that in my collections. <laughs> yeah, and then we we also had when we started developing and learning more how to write, we started doing we called them auto books, although it was it was more a girl thing, but I loved to write so I had my own. So it was a little diary where you would you would write whatever, you would write thoughts, you would write anything. Mm-hmm. Mostly we would write music. So we would, I think some of the most happening bands in my, in my younger age was Boys to Men and Backstreet. Uh, oh yeah, Boys to Men, Celine Dion and those were some of the most happening artists. So you would write the readings in the, in the book and you would spend your entire afternoon trying to practice how to sing well. Then would schools <laughs> encouraged, um. I love it. So, it's var- so awesome. Yeah, we had. We had variety shows at schools, so it would be a context, a, a contest where you are, I think the, the, the right word is lip syncing. We, we called it mining. You'd say, I'm going to be mining to boys to men. And then me and my crew, we were boys to men. We were the boys to men. Oh, awesome. So, I would, well, I would pay a lot of money to see that video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would would go to 
would go would go raid our parents' wardrobe, get your your dad's trench coat or your uncle's trench coat, and put it on. It's like you it's it's dripping there, but just because boys to men were wearing a trench coat and a hat when they're singing, and you'd get that be on stage and you'll be going, oh baby, 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 baby. And, <laughs> and go get it. You guys oh my, were boys to men, yeah, of course. We could imagine, we could dream, and that was beautiful. We thought we we were boys to men. In that moment, if you asked me who I was, I would tell you I'm Sean. I yeah. am him. And that was my Hollywood at the time. So <laughs> it was good times. So here's a good question as someone that lived through that's a beautiful phase of life, but technology has sort of changed that. And looking at the youth now, do you think that they're better off or worse off because they have the technology? It's when I when I look at it now, I think it's two ways. They are fortunate and unfortunate. I think they are fortunate in that now information is accessible. I think someone my age then, but now, would probably know a lot more things and have a lot more access to things that we are critical for you to develop yourself. But at the same time, it's taken away the the creative aspect of it and the adventure to being a child. I think when we were kids, we were very adventurous. We We did things. I don't even know how we made it to this. I don't know how I'm alive because <laughs> the things we did were... Yeah, you somersaulted on just barely wet dirt from a story high yeah. bus. What the hell? These days, you look at... I look at, 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 at young kids these days. They, they are so protected. And I'm like, but I made it through life with... I don't know. I bumped my head into glass. I mean, I I rode on... I, I did so many crazy things, but I'm still alive and I'm still here. Yep. We swam in swamps. We went to, we, because we didn't have swimming pools, we'd jump in swamps. We'd find ways of cleaning a swamp up so that we, we could swim. We could design things. We could make things out of clay, out of wire, out of a lot of other things that were made available, which I don't think kids nowadays are able to do. And in yeah. that, we created a lot of memories. When I sit back and think of my memories then, they're so interesting. And I think when I look at myself now as an adult, I'm grateful for those little moments in the sense that I'm very hands-on. I'm, I'm, I'm very hands-on. When I look at my young sister, for example, there's a lot of things she can't do. There's, there's, She's too relaxed, They're dependent on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Then if you, wanted, if you wanted, like, it's now winter, we've got air cones. During our days, we didn't have air cones. We had to go burn plastics outside. We would, there's lots of things we did. And yeah. I think that's where the difference is. However, we did like the, the, the knowledge, the technological knowledge, the, the news around, because we didn't have access to that then. Yeah. That was the downside. So, it's half half. There's positives and negatives to to both. Yeah, I completely agree, and that was really well said from from top to bottom. And from the outside looking mm. in, it seems like your childhood was really, really amazing, and I'm sure it was in a lot of ways. But as we were talking before, there was also a strange sort of 
I wouldn't say strange, but just an interesting family dynamic between who you thought your parents were and actually they were your grandparents and who your sister was. Yeah, that story. <laughs> Let's get right into it. Come stuff. on. <laughs> yeah. Well, just to place the story for you, my mom got pregnant when she was a teenager. The age difference between me and my mom was actually 18. So she had me at 18. Back in the days when you got pregnant, it was, there was a lot of stigmatization. It was the end of your life. My mom fortunately got pregnant just after she completed her high school. And that kind of, it took away a lot of things from her. She couldn't go to college anymore because she was a mother-to-be. And basically, she was a humiliation to the family, so she was estranged. She was chased out of the house. She had to go fend for herself, which is, which was a general story going up in an African uh, mindset. You were a shame, a humiliation to the family, and wow, you were left situation. to go for yourself. Yeah. Now... After I was born, so my mom went out there and she she endured until I was born. Luckily, she ran to my great aunt who looked after her until I was born. When I was born, I was the first grandchild to my grandparents. I think that they decided to search for me and not their daughter. They mm. found her, they got me from her, and they never allowed her to come back home. They left her where she was. So they took me in as their own. I think I was basically a day or two or three old. I don't know. But they took me in as a baby. I I grew up only knowing them. The time I became conscious on who mom and dad were, I said that to my grandparents. So they were my mom, my dad. Mm-hmm. And their children were my who my uncles and aunties were my, my, my sisters and brothers. So I felt like I was the last born in the family. For pretty much a long time. Yeah. So, yeah, the relationship between me and my grandmother was, was something of not. I was, I was the hip. <laughs> <laughs> I was my grandmother's hip. She didn't, she loved me to bits and I too. I loved her. She, she took me everywhere. I was with her. And to such a point, um, we shared so many things with her together. We we had there were meals that in the house could only be eaten by my grandmother and me, <laughs> and it was our son. No one would eat anything like that. It was me and my grandmother and my grandfather. I think also to note it's as I'm speaking, I'm realizing that I don't have a lot of stories about my grandfather. Not that he was not present. My grandfather loved my grandmother, and there were he was always there to fend. But most of the time, because he was the man. He would probably spend most of the time out of the house, working, and he would only be coming back home in the evening. So we saw very little of him. Yeah. But I saw a lot of my my grandmom. Funny so, story is I nicknamed CNN yeah, in the house. Yeah, I was just going to say, so you, got, you and your grandmother were really close to the point where you earned this magical nickname CNN. <laughs> CNN. At the time, CNN was the news that people knew. It was the only broadcasting news channel that was available. So the local stations would play CNN when it's news time. Um, so if anything happened in the house, I would be the first person to inform my grandmother. If I even 
had a rumor about anything, I would be the first person to tell my grandmother about it. <laughs> Something happens to me. So because I was so loved, there was a lot of there was a bit of jealousy, I suppose, from um, I guess the other people in the house. Sometimes they would tease me and they would just I was I was also naughty, so they would beat me and the normal things that anyone would go through. But to take my revenge, so if someone beats me up at six AM just after my mom my grandmother goes out, I would cry, get over it, go do whatever I had to do for my day. If it's six PM my grandmother is coming, I would go to the exact spot where you beat me, you know, like gathering evidence. And I'll make sure everything <laughs> is on the crime scene. Immediately I hear the door open, I would start crying. Like I would cry. Like you if if you stop me there, you think I've just been beaten. Yet I was beaten at six AM in the morning. And I'll be there crying. I'll be like, No, she beat me and she used this. I'll make sure everything is there. Oh if man, there was a just scratch, like it just happened, even though it happened twelve hours ago. I would recreate the scratches on my body just to make sure <laughs> no, that. Oh, really? Enough, oh, man. Enough evidence. So, a, yeah, that made just, me very popular in the house. Everyone was scared of me, and I was like, okay, cool stuff. You can't touch me. Yeah, I have the power. Yeah, and I wonder why I never became an actor. I think <laughs> I would have been. I would have probably succeeded better in that industry. I think so. I would make you such would a... just bring yourself to that moment again. You're like, okay. Well, I'm going to reenact this thing to make sure that grandma never lets you see the light of day for the next week. So <laughs> I I never knew that my in the midst of all the reporting that I was doing and the news capturing that I was doing, <laughs> I didn't have sight that actually my 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 uh, my sister, the first born in the family was actually my mom. I only started realizing that she was my mom when I think at some point one of my aunties and I never used to get along and she was the one who always used to beat me and she was the one I always used to report on. So we had a bit of a, a situation there. So she started saying to me, you know, my mother is not your mother. Don't call her mother. Your mother is, is Charlotte. And Charlotte was the firstborn and I would, I detested that. And because I would get angry if she says that, she used it so many times. To a point that I started hating Charlotte from coming to visit. If she comes through, she'd actually threaten me and say, Charlotte, one day is going to come and get you. I'd be like, okay, I'd, uh, why would she be saying Charlotte? So Charlotte was demonized. when I. It was the name that was used to keep me in control because I was scared she would come and get me. Yeah. Um, and you and your aunt, up, how, what's the age difference between you and your aunt at this point? Were you pretty close in age? We we were pretty close. I think it was just like what seven years, eight years difference. Okay, so still just kids being kids, sort of thing. Yeah, kids and yeah, progression. Or as I grew up, I think all wounds get forgiven. I think at some point my grandparents forgive their daughter, forgive their daughter for the shame of me. And I think their love for me grew stronger, and they allowed her back. My birth became one of those bygones that had to be bygones. She then resumed coming to visit the house and coming to spend weekends, but she had already developed a career for herself. She joined the police force. She was a, a, a police officer living on her own. 
and she would come home in a uniform and then we we were very scared of police officers so i think my aunt always used that charlotte is gonna take you and she's gonna take you to prison and i think i I was more scared of what what she presented and I, I think the, the, when it's been instilled in you that your mother is a police officer, you 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 get scared of things you don't know. I think I was I was just scared for no reason. And yeah, unfortunately, my grandparents, my 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 grandpa, my grandmother got cancer. She had cancer of the breast, and she got very ill for a long for a while. She 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 struggled with that. And in that, at the time she got cancer in Zambia, there weren't any, there were, there were no medical facilities that uh, you can't cure cancer that yeah. could attend to cancer. You to seek medical attention, you had to travel to Zimbabwe. So I traveled. I didn't know at the time that she was sick, but when she was traveling to Zimbabwe for treatment for cancer treatment, I joined her. I, I was always traveling with her and would come back. For me, it was, oh, I'm in Zimbabwe, I'm sweets and whatever joy. They spared no chance to make me feel anyway. I was, as I said, I was my grandmother's accessory and yeah. she went literally everywhere with me. So as it progressed on, as the cancer progressed on, she, she became, yeah, she became worse. She became worse by the year. To a point that she became bedridden. And even during that time, I spent most of my time in the bedroom with her. I, I was, I slept in her bed. I, I spent most of my time with my grandmother. Yeah, that's basically yeah. your mom. Or what you thought was your mom for yeah, a she long time. was my mom. Yeah. And the love story between her and her husband, to cut it short, one would think my grandmother would have been the first one to go. But unfortunately, my grandfather was the first one to go. So I think it was stress, depression. He couldn't stand seeing his wife in that state. Mm-hmm. He had a, a blood vessel burst in his in his head. Oh my goodness! So he died. He died. All of, it was a sudden death. He was never sick. He just had a headache. In the evenings, he was dead. Unbelievable. Yeah. So there was a funeral. His bedridden wife of over 30 years was in the bedroom she never attended the funeral because she couldn't she was so ill yeah i stayed home i recall that period i stayed home with her they dressed her in black and i was just wondering what was i think that was my first experience of death mm-hmm. uh, they buried him they came back after the burial when the mourners were coming back home i think she also died and they, so it was one funeral into a next. So yeah. I lost my grandfather, I lost my grandmother within the same week and they were buried next to each other. So even now they, they, when we go to the, to the, for a memorial, they are, they are buried side by side. They yeah. died days apart. Yeah. And this must have been really tough on you as being so close to both your, Father, father, grandfather, grandmother, and now all of a sudden everything is switched pretty much. Your family dynamic, your life in general. I mean, a loss like that is really hard to 
to absorb. So what was going on in, in your head moving into the next phases or trying to cope with something as as big as that? It was a huge adjustment. The house had so many people. My mom's siblings were seven, including me, that was now eight. And all of them, other than my mother, were still in school. So it was, it was, it was a huge knock. I had to start finding, there was decisions about where I was going to go that had to be made. And then, only then was it made clear that my, my sister was actually my mom. You know, in an African concept, when a funeral happens, there's always family discussions, there's a big meeting, and people start discussing, and elders sit there directing what needs to transpire after that. And then it was it was highlighted that I was going to go live with my mother, my rightful mother, who happened to be Charlotte. Of course, my 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 world changed. It was how, the beginning of reality. How old were you at the time when this happened? I was around four, five years old. Yeah, so you're only five years old and undergoing your first major shift in your life. Yeah. Yeah, I was in my first, yeah, second grade actually. So I had to shift. My, my parents were, my grandparents, sure, I even, I can't, I can't differentiate my parents, my grandparents. I need to be brought to terms. My grandparents were teachers. <laughs> and at the time, at that time, teachers were, being a teacher was one of a best, good paying job because it was just, it was very close to Independence Day. Well, it was closer to Independence Day. And as you know it, Africans were not allowed to be educated. So the first set of people to be educated were teachers. Mm-hmm. And they were then now had the responsibility to educate other people. So if you're a teacher then, there was a lot of respect around that. If you're an African and you're a teacher, you had, you had a good place in, in, in society. People mm-hmm. came to you for guidance, for direction. You, you, you were most likely going to end up, if you check, if you look at the, the most celebrated politicians, they were initially teachers. Most of their career backgrounds is teaching. And my grandparents at the time had also started just beginning their political aspiration. They're trying to get into politics. They were campaigning just before my grandmother got cancer. And yeah, so it was, a shortened political life for them. Yeah. And with that, our status was a bit respectable in society, in, in the community. We were, we were the children. Oh, my, my grandfather used to be a principal at the school and his wife was the deputy principal. Yeah. So lots of, yeah. Yeah. There was privilege that came with that. After their death, I had to adjust to go living, to go live with my mom who was a police officer. And at the time, the view was, if you failed to do anything that is educational, if you failed to go to college, the job that you'd get would be a police officer because there was no educational requirement uh, for so it. So there, there was a bad view of police officers. Yes, and the pay was, was very different for police officers at the time. However, there were, there were securities that came with the job. You're given a house. You, you were set, but it was, there was a lot of stigma around being a police officer then. It was the job 
in school they told you you don't want to be a police officer you have to be a doctor or something but wow. never ever okay a so you even you probably had a little bit of a stigma as well if if that's I, what I, everyone's I, saying I, yeah of course that's the idea that you develop Yes, I did. I didn't like what my my new life was going to be. And it came, I had to move from living in Chilanga, which was a farming area, which was, it, it was a pretty much affluent lifestyle, to going to live in a police camp. And we moved from me having my own bedroom to going to share because the only house my mom had was a one-bedroom house. I remember mm-hmm. the sitting was a one-bedroom house with a living room and a kitchen. Most of her siblings had to go stay with her, so it was it was us sharing. All of us in my grandmother's house had to go share a one-bedroom apartment. So it wow. was a huge shift. And there's eight. There's eight of you. Yes. Two were taken... Uh, one, my my uncle likely went to university, so he was he 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 went in full time. One of my aunties was taken by one of my other aunt, my grandmother's uh, sisters, mm-hmm. so the number reduced a bit. Still. So we were we were about six of us Still. in the house. So the <laughs> yeah, the girls slept in the living room. The boys slept in the kitchen, and my mom slept in 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 the bedroom. At the at that point, there was a man in her life who was, was not my dad, but there was a man in her life. So she 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 had she and my stepdad at the time had the bedroom, the girls in the living room, the boys in the kitchen, and that, that was life as we knew it. House. Yeah, that is a packed house. Yeah, and then also. Because it was in a different sector of, of, of life, it was now, it was almost like, um, I don't want to use the word shanty. It was, how can I put it? A lot of things were, were, were hard for people in that sector of life. So I went to a school because my grandparents were teachers. I could speak English at a young age and we used English most of the time in the house to speak. So, and the people I associated with were also English speakers. When I moved to my mom, a lot of people were speaking local languages. And I wasn't fluent at the time in any local language. So oh. it was a bit of a, it was a bit of an adjusting. So oh, it's a huge I had adjustment. To... It seems like everything was turned yeah. upside down in a way. Life was just upside down. I had to start calling my sister mom, which took a while. Yeah. I didn't call mom until I think I was 11 years old. I kept calling her by her first name. I always called her Charlotte. Um, my sister, my young sister was born uh, while we were in that house. So that also came into play. And yeah, it was, it was a huge adjustment. I had a sister, a young sister from being the last born, the spoiled last born. To now, she gets being this. She gets to be the spoiled last born. Yeah, so it was it was a huge change. Oh, I'm it was sure. a huge change. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, I I couldn't imagine going through, and it's not something that you could predict either. It wasn't exactly your choice that all of this happened all at once. So 
you had, you were almost thrown into this situation and even at a young age how did you did you just cope by continuing on was it a, do you remember any other ways that you got through it other than just keep going i think the beauty about being young then is that we were carefree and we didn't in as much as there was stigma there wasn't pressure on you as a child a lot of pressure so i suppose even though i could feel the difference there wasn't a lot of pressure around it somehow mm. so I, I, there wasn't too much pressure if that same situation happened now it would be a different story but then there was a lot of a lot of ignorance i would say so it was it was something normal yeah we just went on i just calling her charlotte and she would ask me to call me mom and yeah it seemed a bit far fetched and i thought she was asking for too much so i continued calling her charlotte and i don't know at some point i i, I don't even have an an explanation of how it all just eventually made sense but consistently waking up every day doing the same thing and adapting to the new life it all became normal and everything else just fell in yeah i remember the first day i called my mom mom she actually she cried she cried. i i think i was doing yeah, she actually cried she hugged me and she cried it meant so much to her that i called her mom my friends i think it was it was mostly because of my friends so all of them would say my mom my mom my mom this you know when you're playing everybody's coming to my mom this my mom that my mom this and i would call her mom when i'm out there but when i'm come home i'd call her charlotte so i think at some point the two had to even out i came home and i was mm-hmm. like mom and and she i think she shook her head she was like Yeah, but I I wasn't aware. I was like, "Mom," and then I I wanted something. I kept on saying what I wanted, and afterwards, I was like, "She'll stand." I'm like, "What's wrong? You just called me, Mom." I'm like, "Oh shit, I did." Well, let's get on. <laughs> <laughs> That was your reaction? Yeah. Oh shit, I did. Yeah, like I did. <laughs> well, I suppose let's get on with the program. <laughs> yep. All so, right, can't take and, that back. And, Here we go. It became mum from then onwards, and it was easy. I think it, for me, it was, it was trying to. I think I didn't accept that my grandparents, my parents, had died, and there was this foreign person who wanted to take up their place. So not calling her mum was more defiance of not accepting that, giving her space that in me belonged to someone else. that was a status mm-hmm. that i had given to my parents grandparents then and it was their space and to me she didn't deserve it but i suppose after many many right. days of living she eventually became worthy to be called that she earned her space and yeah she was crowned the mother she was crowned the mother <laughs> now unfortunately that that didn't last that long either uh for for your mother as well as tragedy struck again which must have been really hard on you and your family too as your your mother passed away as well yeah she my mom i called her mom when i was around 11 and 10 11 
and she died when I was 12. Yeah, she she also passed on at 12. I don't know what took her, but she became ill for a long time, a very long time, to a point that um, she became, to a point that she, she was almost um, going insane. When someone has had an illness for a long time and they're not getting medical attention, they tend to lose their senses. So I had to watch my mom, my mom go through that stage. The person I had now grown to love, I was now losing her. So she was ill for a long time. By the time she was ill, most of the people, she had, my mom was very, was very determined. When we moved into her house, she dedicated herself to working hard. She would always sit. I became, she, she became a friend of mine. She was more like my friend. So we'd sit, we'd chat, and she'd tell me stories. And one of the many stories that she had to tell me was uh, revealing who my father was. I think I kept asking that question, who was my dad? And until one day, um, I think it was a weekend, she came home from work, and then she told me to go by the roadside and I'll find a man in a black car and I should just say hi to him. So I did as I was instructed. I went to the road. I met this man driving a Benz. At the time, the Benz was a very expensive car driven only by very influential people. I said Mm -hmm. hi to him and he was this very nice bubbly man, older, much, much older, almost like my grandfather my grandfather's age looked like my grandfather's age mate. Yeah, I said hi to him. Nothing unusual. Ah, hi, your mom sent you to St. Hi. So what's your name? He did a little bit of an interview and I told him I didn't understand what was going on and for, I think I didn't even care. I was just being a good child. <laughs> I went back home to report my good deed and end my point. So mom, I met the guy by the roadside, and I say, I greeted him. Oh, what did he say? Goes, okay. And she tells me, that's your father. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so. <laughs> uh, oh, come on. That, that, that's a shock. Yeah, that's that's how I knew that <laughs> that was my father. And, yeah, I was, I think I was seven, eight years old at the time. And, uh, yeah, now there was a man called Max Kaseke. By then, my names were Stanley Nchena, my Nchena being my mother's name. So mm-hmm. my my father, my grandfather's surname, so I was Stanley Nchena. When my dad was introduced into my life and we acknowledged that the acknowledgement that it was my dad came in, I had to start using those traditionally. You have to take your father's surname as your surname. Mm-hmm. But I had been using Stanley Chena for a long time, and I had to now start taking on my father's surname. I refused to take my father's surname because I wanted to be Stanley Chena. It took a lot of convincing, and eventually I accepted to become Stanley. I accepted to take my father's surname, but I gave the condition that I don't lose my my what I regarded as my grandfather's surname 
because that to me was mm-hmm. who I was. It took a lot for people to step into those shoes and them changing my name into a man's name I didn't know I, I was not going to just happen. So right. I said, exactly. cool. I understand the dynamics here. He's my father. Fine. I'll take his name, but I'm going to be, I'm going to keep my name. So it was Stanley in Chenna and then we added in Kaseke. So whenever anyone would be talking to me, I would be, what's your surname? I would always say, my name is Nchena. My surname is Nchena Kaseke. And it became, it was a bit difficult for people to get it. So I was like, okay, so Nchena is my mother's name. Kaseke is my father's name. And I use them both as my surname. So yeah, but later on, when I was now getting government documents, it became difficult to use the two names. So they instead kept standing mm-hmm. Chena as my first name. And then Kaseke became the surname. So I used Stanley Chena as my first name officially and Kaseke as my surname. Gotcha. So just more confusion for a very young part of your life as Ooh. well. Yes. So I couldn't even imagine, man. Yeah. And also came in the, the whole, my dad was married. So when the holidays came that time, my mom packed my bags and told me, your father is coming to get you for a holiday. I was like, okay. So I was going to stay with him for the first time. And yeah, he came, he picked me up. I went for a holiday there. We, yeah, I got there. He was married and he had kids who were older than me and he had many kids. He... He had a very lovely wife, my stepmom. Most people in an African concept, a stepmother is demonized, but I was one of the most privileged people to have a loving stepmom. I was more inclined to my stepmother than I was to my own dad. If the future holidays that came, I never went there for my dad. I went there for my stepmom because I wanted to step to spend time with her. She was, she's one of mm-hmm. the most amazing people that I have ever come across in life. And I respect her for the many decisions that and sacrifices that she made in the name of love. So she had four children by him, but my dad had many other children outside wedlock. And in most instances, the mothers would just come and dump their kids at my dad's house. And my stepmom, oh my goodness, my stepmom took all of these kids in and she looked after them as though they were her own. She was a working mom. She paid their school fees. She took them to school. She was, I could never describe how amazing a person that lady is. She's, she's. Wow. Yeah. She's strong. That, that, that takes a special kind of person yeah. to do, to do that. When my mom passed on, she became, she took up that space, that emotional space. She was like the anchor person I would go to if I wanted to talk, if I wanted anything. She was always there for me. Yeah. We mm-hmm. never lived together for a, for a long time, but she, she, we, we learned to love each other. And I, she loved me and I love her. She loves me. Let's, let's quantify it in current context. She loves me, and I love her. Yeah, I have great respect for her. And my goodness, your your story is just—it's so interesting because we we all have these anchor people. 
we all have these anchor people in our lives. And unfortunately, you had to change twice, two major changes in those most influential people of your life. And I'm sure that, did that harden you in any way? Because it seems like you were able to continue to love and start over and form relationships with not only your mother, but then also your stepmother as well. But was it like, I guess my question is, how did you mentally get through that even at a young age? I know you said you were carefree, but it only goes so far. Yeah, um, it's a good question, hey. I think a lot of that has shaped, indirectly shaped who I am today. The person I have become has been as a result of many of those things. I don't know how, I suppose... God wants me here. God wanted me to do these things. God made it possible. But I just did. All I know is I went by. In many instances, I see a lot of people who go through the things that I may have gone through, and I see how it has an emotional impact on them. I And I didn't have any of that. I suppose I would attribute it to the principles under which I was raised i i was taught to be strong i was taught to accept things to accept change and as even now as a grown person i easily i'm very open-minded and i face certain things with an open mind i don't i'm not closed up yeah it's it's difficult to say how i made it yeah. but i did anyways it's god's grace yeah and well, Stanley, thanks for coming on the show. I think this is a really good way to to wrap up, and I'm sure you have a billion more stories to tell. So we might need to do a second episode, or maybe even a third, to to get to know everything. But I guess to to finish off the podcast, then I'm gonna dig right into that last question because I know that a, a lot of people struggle with change, and change is a really hard part of life, especially monumental changes like the ones that you went through. And for someone that maybe wasn't taught to be as open-minded or to accept change in the way that you were, what would you say as advice to someone listening right now to either help them through a monumental change in life or to become even a little bit more open-minded to what's happening in their life? I would say... I've almost, I've, I've lived on the basis of being, on the basis of being aware. When you are aware of things, you become, you, you become expanded in some way. When you are aware of things around you, you become, you are able to take things in a bit more. You become very knowledgeable about certain things. For example, when you are aware that we have this one world and there's a lot of other people who are not the same, who come from different life stories. I've met many people in my life. I've met people from very rich backgrounds, very poor backgrounds, very I've met people who are self starters, I've met people who are very different. When you're aware that there's a lot of different people around in our world, you understand that there's a lot of different narratives around as well. And there's a lot of different circumstances and situations that trigger things. And in that, if you boil it down, you, re- you will realize that human behavior is based on what someone has been exposed to. 
And unfortunately, there's only one space for all of these different stories to stay, to be made, to to be shared. And that's Earth. That's this world. We have to create a global society where all of the people, despite where they come from, despite the colors, despite the culture, despite so many differences, we have to inhabit the Earth together. We have to drink the same water. We have to walk the same earth. We have to use the same air. We have to bask the same sun. That means you have to open yourself up a bit more because if you want to close yourself up to what you believe, what your beliefs are, it's going to be difficult because you can't change people. There's a lot to take into account. Mm-hmm. When If I was to ask any other person out there about their life story, It'll be different. It's my responsibility to respect that. And it's my responsibility to respect the fact that their life and their approaches towards life is different. And it's my responsibility to become aware of this. If I choose to be ignorant, of course, I am going to be a menace to the plan, the global society plan. We won't be able to, we won't be able to correlate. We won't. And just right. being aware, right. we just have to be aware yeah. that oh, we are different. Yet, I love it. We have. To, yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful message, and you're absolutely right. It, if this trip, this adventure that I was on, made me learn one thing, it's that you you can't just place your biases and ideas on where you're at. You have to be open and aware to the fact that there's tons of different ways to live life. The one thing that we all have in common, yes. we, <laughs> there's so many different ways of doing that. And there's no, what right and wrong is becomes very black and not very black and white, extremely gray and clouded. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yes. It's in no way a bad thing. Yeah. Everyone is beautiful if you decide to see it that way. Everyone is ugly if you decide oh. to see it that way too. So it's just I love it. Depends on who you are. That's a wonderful message. <laughs> <laughs> and that and just, you know, looking back at your, your life story and seeing the becoming of Stanley, it's it's you know, you had to go through a lot of tough things, but where it led to is really beautiful too. Yes, it's, having that mindset is really, really something special. Yes, if I look back at the many things, I mean, in the global things, in the global, if we were to label this, I am an African. I am at the bottom of the, we are regarded as the third world country. So yeah, from a, 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 a continental rating, we are the least. I am black from a race, from a racial, perspective, black has been deemed as the least respected race. I, unfortunately, I'm not female, so at least I'm a tear up. If I was black and female, then it would be an issue, but I am male. I've, I've struggled with sexuality issues which are very uncommon in the black culture, so that sends me way down to the bottom. And having to build myself to being someone who is respectable, accepted, accepts myself, despite all the many labels that are out there, 
facing me and having to forge through all of these labels, I could look at myself and easily give up and say, oh, wow, what the fuck? I, let me just quit this. But no, at the bottom of it, I am human. I am just as ordinary as anyone out there. I am just trying to make ends meet. I am trying to leave my mark in this life. I'm trying to enjoy myself. And when I look at all of the things I've been through, they haven't broken me in any way. Yes, they were sad when I was going through them, but they've helped me to appreciate things. I believe because of the afflictions that I have gone through, I have learned to be respectful. I've learned to be mindful. I've learned to be conscious. I've also learned to care because... In this fast-moving world, care, compassion, those are fast-diminishing aspects to humanity. But Mm -hmm. I cannot forget the things that I have gone through, and they make me able to remember and become empathetic to other things that others may go through. It's because I know, and I can't forget, because I have experienced them. And with that, in yeah. it, it helps me become a better human being. And I'm at the end. I, yeah. I have nothing but appreciation for my 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 challenges and obstacles in life because to become me, they were an essential component. Yeah, I, I think that's a beautiful message that a lot of us forget sometimes, and it's good to take the heart. And Stanley, thanks for for coming on the show, my man. This has been. A wild ride for me and I hope it was as good for you as it was for me and I know I'm gonna be thinking about this one for a while and try to digest everything you said and incorporate it all incorporate it all into becoming a more open-minded and welcoming person so thank you Stanley for coming on the show and I hope to talk again soon my man I thank you very much for having me and yeah we were talking to the world so I won't forget Hello, world, and goodbye. <laughs> but goodbye for now, anyway. <laughs> goodbye for now. <laughs> Till we meet. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio. And thanks again, Stanley Natinia Kaseke, for coming on the show. Come crash our wedding. I'll send you an invite. Check out everything that happened on the Big Radical on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders and the blog of my partner in crime, Jackie Gishbacher, at gishoutofwater.com. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milliken for all of the Oyster Jams. Check them out on Spotify or at charliemilliken.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N at patreon.com forward slash Radio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes plus some unique travel tips. So don't miss out on upping your game as an expert traveler. Once again, all of the links can be found in the show description. Thanks again for tuning into Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks, but until then, this is Nathan Lieberman signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars and thinking about all time